Dear Lord God, we are grateful for each week we are given. We know we have eternity in front of us. And we live in that hope now. And the bits of heaven you've given us with our families and our friends and study of the word, growing closer to you, being reconciled to you, and being educated in your wisdom, we'd ask that that time of joy would just be a stepping stair up to the places of actual heaven. Bless us as we come to you. In your son's name, amen. I was uh, preparing the sermon this morning and you know, usually thinking again about what conversations you've been in. I talked to God about a conversation he'd been in with a Christian friend who was the Christian friend who was saying nonsense. You know, really there's lots of ways to God. Or can, more like, can't there be, please? Lots of ways to God. You know, coexist. And uh, I was talking to another gentleman yesterday, um, non-believer, who wanted to see, you know, religion has really grown. It's really, it's really matured. It's gotten some things figured out. Christianity's a lot better now than it used to be. Now, I understand that when you compare the Spanish Inquisition to All Souls Christian Church, we are better. But he was talking about how ethically the walls in Christianity were getting a little softer, a little less insistent on being what God wants you to be. So I thought to myself as I was looking at the word, well, I didn't actually think to myself, the scripture, I looked at it, Psalm 94 that we're looking at this morning, and the first line, O Lord, thou God of vengeance. And I know how I said that, vengeance. That's like Holy Ghost stuff. Because when you say vengeance, one third of the group there goes, oh no. Oh no. Not because you expect conviction, but because you expect embarrassment. You expect that, isn't this what we have grown past? A vengeful God, the hairy thunderer, he would cast thunderbolts upon you, hailstones the size of arcs of covenants, if that's an image. It's Idaho, folks. I've been to, I've been to Portland recently. I know what makes them nervous. Telling them I spanked my daughter made them nervous. They're good believers, I like them. They're largely biblical, you know, different kind of church service, yeah, reasonably cool people. But you begin to realize, you know, like the whole idea of their hipsters were hicksters because we're from Idaho. It's not that we're from Idaho that makes us unwilling to give up those orthodox or, you know, silly old notions of God. But people think it is. And our ministry is to people more and more, especially in a college town. That they're trying to write their own ticket for metaphysics. 
when you stop and call it what it is, they, they have religions pretended in their minds, yeah, I'm kind of into Buddhism. And some people are into Christianity the same way. That when you need a God, when you need a religion to give you explanatory power about some of the things you don't want to give up, but so squishy and soft and personally driven so that when you want to do something wicked, it doesn't get in the way. And so right now, we're really pretending how, how the gods really, you know, everybody on the bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker, if you read any of the scriptures of any of those religions, they would call for the heads of the, every other religious observer to be dead of other religions. Islam does not play well with others. Neither do the Hindus, neither do the Christians. I mean, in terms of truth, whatever you claim to be true. No, Islam can't be true. At the same time, Christianity is true. Neither can Hinduism, neither can Buddhism. Pick, for heaven's sake. Now, we want to pretend that they're all so nice, kind of like uh, the Justice League, that all the superheroes get together, and because none of them are quite God enough, and Jesus is sort of a Judeo-Christian, Western European deity that manages, like the Philistines used to say, well, let, their God is probably the God of the mountains. That's why we lost this battle. Let's draw them down to the plains so we could fight him there, because he's not a God of the plains. Oops, I guess he is bigger than that. And you start to think that Christianity is some Western expression of the desire of all men to reach the sublime. You're an idiot. We want to get to what's going on. And Psalm 94 seemed like a, a nice vehicle. Oh Lord, because it, it's right out there. Now, David, of course, does not feel like, like he, he stepped in it by saying the word vengeance. Because he says it in the second line. Thou God of vengeance shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render to the proud their deserts. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? This is where the, the definition of what I was encountering and what David was encountering matched up. How long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. They boast all the evildoers. They crush thy people, O Lord, and afflict thy heritage. They slay the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. It's conceit. You need to describe the conceit to people. These are boasters, exulting, arrogant. Now, when a person is, the nature of, as I've mentioned many times, the nature of all sin is the service to self versus service to the right governments of the, of, of, of the universe, God and everyone he assigns. You, you obey yourself, you obey your own urge, you thumb your nose at those who have legitimate claim to your life. And so they look at that and say, you're not good, and they judge you. And when God looks at you and says, you know, I designed you for goodness. I designed you for goodness. And you're not being good, you're serving your own urges. 
It's not, so, you know, you're, you're, sure, we could come up with all sorts of descriptions why theft is wrong, why murder is bad, how sexual immorality uh, destroys the family, whatever the, you know, whatever, and, and people sort of then start arguing with you saying, no, it doesn't. I think people can live in a single parent family or whatever they're up to. They will argue with you on all the individual sins, whether they, what makes them bad, but the ultimate thing that makes them bad is where your service goes. And the conceit of thinking, and I've said this before to the congregation, that you're smart enough to run your own life. You're smart enough to design the metaphysics that rule over you. Think of it in terms like Congress trying to design a, a, a financial policy. Whenever they step into something that's much bigger than they can imagine, it just goes up in flames. You can't just step in and take over the reins of the universe and say, really, Jesus, it would be a lot cooler if we were in touch with whatever the current trend is. That boast, that arrogance, really is the, is the first shift. The first step you take is, I know what I'm doing. When you were little, what did you say to your father? When he was trying to cut your meat for you because you were an idiot? Me do it. And that's what you sound like. Me do it. I will design the cosmos. Well, why do you want to design the cosmos? <coughs> because you want to crush the people, O oh Lord. You want to slay the widow and the sojourner. You want to murder the fatherless. Because you want to be bad at the right time for you. So I'm not a murderer. No, you just want to be bad your way at the right time for you. So you've got to raise yourself up as the guiding ethical principle in your, your universe, which rely, re requires that you either remove God atheistically, ignore God agnostically, or evolve your God without his permission. You've trained your God to adjust to whatever is in fashion for you. Anything we make popular currently? You ever get the feeling that you really don't want to be in some churches because they're falling all over themselves, kind of like Republicans uh, trying to please, say, the Hispanic vote by giving up every bit of principle they have? Because we've got to please them. And the Christians are going, oh, if we don't attract people, it might be the size of all souls Christian. If we don't tell them what they want to hear, words to tickle their ears, so nothing God says oddly disagrees with anything they think. If you have a trained God, you, you don't believe in a God. You certainly don't believe in this God. I was thinking about the, the image of we want a God we can point at who will never point back who will never have actual, sentient, passionate opinions about the way he wants the universe he made to be. He's just there as a prop, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. With your God, do you just have that God erected with you behind the curtain, with you pulling the strings, and oddly enough, he says just enough things of godlike or moral nature to make everybody think, oh, he really is good. 
None of those words on vengeance, none of those words that condemn you for what you did. Now, it's because when you have this conceit, you don't, you, you're, what you're doing is you're keeping God from seeing you. He doesn't point to you. He doesn't notice you. Because you've made him an, a, 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 a cipher, a, a, just a definition, a theological concept that the Christians have fought over for years. You don't have a being who sits in heaven and knows you and will judge you. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? So in reality, this arrogance, this boasting, this posturing to give you control of the gods so that you can have control of your evil, enough control of the gods to keep it just enough people stopping at the stop signs so they don't steal your stuff. I want just enough ethics in society, says the agnostic or the atheist, so that no one will knock me down and take my wallet. Because I don't like that sin. I don't, that's not one of my opinions. But you know, some other atheists, it is their opinion. The Soviet Union. Knock you down, take your stuff. Because what is personal property? They don't have any reason to do, be nice to you. What's the reason? You don't like it? But this, when you, when you start to examine this at any theological or philosophical level, you're dealing with re retards. I mean, you're, you're, they're dull-witted. They're fools in philosophy. If there is a reason to have a religion, it's because there is a God. And once you say there is a God, it, it gets yanked out of your hands. It's not yours anymore. Because a God is an agent in the cosmos bigger than you, more capable than you, who has claims to you. And in the Christian God, maker of heaven and earth, designer of everything that you see. And you start to realize his infinite power and deity are clearly perceived in the things that have been made you're without excuse. As soon as you have a religion, be aware that unless you're a retard, unless you're a fool, unless you're somebody who's dull-witted, who gets to go around and find some group like this that sings just the right kind of music to make you feel a little more spiritually uh, floaty, and enough interest in the homilies that you would be I don't do homilies, by the way. As I think it was Charles Spurgeon once said, sermonettes are for Christianettes. Okay, that's why the sermon never gets shorter. Uh, so your sermons, but you want something that will make you feel blessed. But if you have a religion, you just introduced a God, and you either claim he is real or you claim he is not. If you claim he is not, then yeah, you're just using this as kind of a metaphor for good living. This God, Apollo. This God, Krishna. This is just a metaphor for living in a beneficial way to my fellow man. 
So don't tire us out. There are probably liberal churches in town you can attend where they won't bother you. But we're going to persist in bothering you because we're of the other persuasion. If you find the God, if you are looking for the God that is going to govern your life, once you find him, he decides what is important. He decides how you'll view things. I have this quote. I didn't actually hear this from anybody. The LGBT community needs to have acceptance in the church. And those skinny jeans are so hot right now. Fashion. You know, we don't, we're not, a, you know, other than the fact that uh, Victoria studied fashion. Hannah Geyer studied fashion. And you're all fashionable people, like, don't, don't, don't worry. Um, fashion isn't our, what we're about. We're religious people who believe we found a God. The God who is above every God. And now it's not ours to decide how it goes anymore. And so we might be very fashionable, but we don't get to introduce the fashion of the age that skinny jeans are really hot right now, today especially. And, and you may wear them to church, but you don't get to say the LGBT community gets to get full acceptance in the church because they're sinners for heaven's sake. Just like you were. We welcome them so that they would repent. Give that nonsense up. Not be welcomed and accepted. Next you'll be welcoming the pedophiles for heaven's sake. If it gets trendy enough, yay. Give it time. You have a God, maybe. Pretend. But since it actually you're behind the curtain, we can be pretty confident that it's not a very bright one. And I was talking to somebody the other night after one of the sessions at the seminar, and we were talking about some other subject. I think it was women's roles in church. And they were at their home church, they were dealing with people who were arguing that, well, Paul was too affected by his society. Valid claim. Inspired word of God, too affected by his society. As if being affected by your society was that which made you wrong. So, I mean, that's the claim. If he's saying something I don't like and he is too affected by his society, I can say he's wrong. Though there's no logical reason why being affected by your society makes you wrong, but we'll take their viewpoint. If being affected by your society makes you wrong, then if I look at those two questions, women's roles in the church, of yours and St. Paul's, the only one I know for certain is affected by his society is you. Because you're just toadying right behind them. Whatever you want, oh world. Whatever you want, you get to have, because I'm afraid that if the world doesn't like me, Christianity will lose. And then people will be bad to each other. The only people affected, for sure, by their society, is someone who wants to liberalize the faith. We can't prove that Paul was affected by his society. We just know what he said. We're not here to make trends, dull people. We are here to find the God. And the God we find, look at verse 9. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? 
He who chastens the nations, does he not chastise? He who teaches men knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. That's a brilliant, it's a brilliant piece of scripture. Because the God you found is not your fashion repository. That we get to change. As society grows and we change the, the, the nature of our pant leg and change the nature of what kind of morals we like, we got to adjust our gods. You know, without a prophet to tell you, when an angel come from God saying, okay, all right, I'm really sorry, but the LGBT community is now accepted because they really love each other. And well, did you have a prophet? Did you have an angel? Is that anywhere in the word of God? No, it all just came out of you, behind the curtain, pulling the strings on your God. You don't get to do that and be actually a metaphysician. You don't get to do that. You're lying about religion because you're not religious. You're just philosophical with strong opinions about how you want to design your ethical world. Well, what is he he's claiming? God made the information systems. The fact that the communion you have with the world around you from sight and hearing, the communion you have what has to be happening scientifically as the light bounces off that seal skin brown wainscot and hits my eye and my wife's red dress and, and, and Ezra's blue shirt bounces into my eye and God didn't just make the light do that and the chemicals do that and it's all floating around ricocheting through this world all those waves or particles depending on your view bouncing around this world and finally focuses through a wonderfully designed lens and, and David will be happy to tell you how it works because I can't lens in this little squishy icky thing in your head and focuses on your retina because of that glassy biological lens that world that's bouncing around this cosmos of light and it focuses, you know, right at the place where you can see where everything is. And when you reach for your coffee in the morning, you know where it is. It's that far away. Because it's not only focused, it's stereoscopic. I know how far things are. And those aren't naturally connected, folks. That is a communion with the universe of an information system. Same with hearing. He who planted the ear, he who formed the eye, do you think the God that designed this system of you knowing the world around you, why do you know stuff? Some of the guys at the Discovery Institute, the intelligent design of people, they'd spend a lot of time on information systems because information systems, apart from biology, the nature of knowing in the cosmos, how can we know? is a huge philosophic area supporting intelligent design. David arguing the same thing. He knows how to do the thing he designed for you. He knows how to get information, a little bit more than you perhaps. And he knows how to punish. You get to see the chastening of the nation and he gets to chasten. And he understands 
that as you attempt, or man attempts, to diminish him, it only works if he's not there. Because on the other hand, you're trying to have a God who doesn't point back, but he is there, and he's pointing back. And he's looking at your thoughts, and you're looking at what you think. I didn't like this sermon. You said unkind things about you know, people. And God's looking back at you going, and you are who? You are how important? Your thoughts are but a breath. It says that in James. Your life is but a vapor. Don't boast in your presumption. All such boasting is evil. God is God. That's the point of a religion. You find the God, then you go, Oh God, what do you want me to believe? Blessed is the man whom thou dost chasten, O Lord, and whom thou dost teach out of thy law to give him respite from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. That's just a reassuring little passage you could read through and not think about for you know, many, many times. But in the midst of this, you're knowing that, that as man steps forward out of his essential self and manhood and his desire to have things be as good as possible for him. He is tempted to try to not just design a business, but design a religion. But instead, we Christians have found a religion. We have found God and been found by him. And the wonderful thing is it's not Odin. The wonderful thing, really, that he's a loving God, he's a forgiving God, he's a patient God. He will not forsake you. Now here's a basic thing that you know, I, I mentioned this as an aside that came up through a conversation I had with Gunn about this friend of his. Um, people who think and this is where you, you might not know how to answer some of this. Those of you who are faithful Christians and you get struck with, well, you know, really, the Buddhists are looking for the same thing. You know, how to improve the ethical performance of people, and they're into detachment and, and, and not being, you know, evil, and the Hindus the same way. And look at the Muslims' code of conduct, and they have, you know, um, or the Zoroastrians, they're really into, you know, a heaven. And you think, because this nonsense has been going on long enough, that somehow the task of religion is how does man find the beatific vision? Okay? The blessedness. And you have an imagination about the beatific vision, what we call heaven, nirvana. It's real estate you're thinking about. Nice real estate. Where you're kind of you and all the good people in the world get to go to this nice real estate because you were, what, by whatever standard, in whatever balance you were weighed in, whichever god of the Justice League was holding the scales, you were kind of better than your neighbors, and you kept your lawn mowed. 
and your kids, only one of them was a meth head. Because you think that the karma police out there, or nature, or the angels, or God, will let you in to this real estate because you think it's some place, if there is a place, for good people. And that's why you say, and I have it right here for you to remember, and looky, the Buddhists are imagining the same sort of place. Can they come too? Can they, huh? No, they can't. No, they may not. I'm sorry. It's not about the real estate. It's not about the desire for good, nor the desire to be in a state of bliss for eternity. You think it's location, location, location. It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It's who. You're not made ready for heaven. You're reconciled to God. When it says atonement, I've said this before, the word is a, an odd conflation of the actual words. It is at-one-ment. That's a word for reconciliation. You at-one-ment, I bring man back to God, not take to heaven. Who cares what heaven's like? Heaven's just a collateral good that happens because God loves his people. Who knows if it's streets of gold or that's some metaphor. It's the Lord. And once I look at someone who's saying, really, aren't the Buddhists or the Hindus all this following the same way? Can't we all get along? Can't? I say, hold it. I didn't know they were seeking Jesus Christ. I'd be happy to tell them about Jesus Christ. Oh, no, 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 no. They, you know, they believe in the same good things and, and they have a generally uh, uh, a view of the afterlife, the eternality of the soul. We're about the God. We're not about the place. And the God, unless you're he, unless you're the God, you don't get to redraw his boundaries, his viewpoints. If you don't like the Christian God, I, there aren't temples of Baal in town, um, but there are temples of probably other things. You, you'll probably find some like-minded souls, but don't pretend you're Christian. Christians are people who follow Jesus Christ. Not went through a walking the aisle moment or signing a card so they can get into heaven. They're followers of Jesus Christ. The danger is when you are heaven and ethics centered, your ethics are what you immediately say, what does a God want me to do? How does he want me to be? What makes me guilty before the God? It's the God's pleasure that I'm concerned with. When you find that your template for ethics and heaven are similar to another religion, um, then you start breaking down the barriers between them. But there are barriers because it's not about. All of ethics are similar, folks. Man knows good and evil regardless of where he is. C.S. <coughs> Lewis has that section of Abolition of Man on the Tao where he relates all the ethical statements of all the great philosophies and great religions and the similarity between them. Everyone, he says Christianity didn't invent any new ethics. It's not here to bring new ethics. 
That's set. So of course everybody has the same ethics. And God has put eternity into man's hearts that he might not know what will come hereafter. And so every religion tries to answer what is going to happen to us after death. So of course they've got opinions about that and are generally positive and negative. So what did you think you were going to find in another religion? You know, some sort of really dark, bad rules about doing awful things to people? No, they're going to be representing ethical behavior. But you won't find Jesus Christ. Now, you don't want to think with true religion. You want to know that you're looking for God as he is, not how your fashion would like to adjust him. Who arises up before, for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, thy steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, thy consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with thee, who frame mischief by statute? It's almost too good a billboard for an election year. Can wicked rulers be allied with thee who frame mischief by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Just a warning, folks. What I'm saying this morning, while true, in many ways will fall to the ground in many minds out there. They won't hear it. If they heard it, they'd ignore it. And the wicked will come to power and they will formalize. They will tell you, as they do in Canada already, that if you speak against any of these approved behaviors from the pulpit, you can be arrested for hate speech. And pastors have been. Prepare yourselves. You say, Evan, are you willing to go to jail? I probably won't do well in jail. Orange is not my color. But uh, I have to stop and say, you know, it's a wicked world. They're going to do this. But God is God. It doesn't matter what they do. I'm not, you know, the whole idea is that you say, Evan, are you really think it's going to happen? Well, not immediately. Who knows? We might be able to stop this nonsense, at least in the formal societal sense, but they will come to power, they will pass laws. You say, well, good thing we can stop the liberals. Ah, I'm worried about the conservatives too. They're, they're a, they could be a pretty dark bunch at times. They will pass laws to enforce the religions they build. Nothing is worse than seeing a conservative with this artificial American Protestant, you know, thing going on that they manage because they're politicians and trying to look religious, they really have that blend of, of making it fashionable, trying to make Jesus just enough approving of what everything of they're doing and their friends' doings and all the votes they want. They band together against the life of the righteous. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. Wants you to be in a place. I'm not trying to create any kind of wave where people, oh my gosh, did you hear that sermon on July 
21st to 2013 in Moscow, Idaho. It's sweeping the nation. What's the phrase young people are using? It's gone viral. <laughs> Not going to happen, folks. There isn't... Uh, it's not in the cards. But in you, one, knowing how to answer them. We're not talking about ethics. We're not talking about heaven. We're talking about God. We're not talking about religion. You remember that from that hideous strength? They didn't talk about religion at St. Anne's on the Hill. They talked about God. And we're dealing with powers. And when you realize that you're dealing with powers, you know how to answer others. Your own life starts to respond as it should respond. You minister the right thing to the ungodly. You know that they reject it. Well, they're willing to go along with you on some of this one conversation I had yesterday. Willing to go along with me with a lot of things on ethics. We were seeing eye to eye on ethics. It was just what Jesus and God's opinion of man was. There was no, no agreement. None when you introduce the people of the gods. The thing is, that first verse, O Lord, thou God of vengeance. When you start to look around you and you see what the church is doing, you see what the ungodly are doing, when you see what they do to the idea of religion, and you see who God has been for you because he is someone who loves, he is someone who is kind, he is someone who is just, he has done these things for you, then you start going, you know, I'm kind of with you on the vengeance, O oh Lord. I'm kind of with you. Matter of fact, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. The end of the scripture reading this morning. There's not another verse. That's the end, last verse, Psalm 94. The Lord our God will wipe them out. Nicely bracketed there, David. God of vengeance, wipe them out. He just managed to change our opinions between the two bookends. Begin to realize these people are giving the middle finger to God and want to say, okay, you just stand aside, old man. You just stand aside, oh you God of the Old Testament who's so difficult to explain according to my ethics. We're going to redesign you, get you a new suit. You're going to be hit by the time we're done. You won't say anything that bothers any of us. At least the trendy things. He's different than that. He is somebody. Let's thank him. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for being, you being who you are, and we having found you. We are grateful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in order to reconcile us to you. That who you are and what you want us to be, you are enabled us to be by your Son's grace and the Holy Spirit and his power. Lord, Keep us from being conceited. In your son's name. Amen.